Hello, listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. Now, listeners, we've done monsters by species and monsters by behavior, but one thing we haven't discussed much of in this podcast is that no creature exists in a vacuum. Creatures are, by necessity, products of their environment, and no environment produces stranger creatures than Oceana, partially because of the climate, partially because of the age of the land masses, and partially because of the large but isolated bodies of land. The animals that have evolved to live in this region of the world are, well, different. Take, for example, kangaroos, bipedal grazers that are able to balance most of their weight on their tail, and who are the only large animals to move around by hopping. Or, maybe you want to look at the platypus and the echidna, Australia's egg-laying mammals that secrete milk through their skin. Or, the giant, very dangerous birds that live there, the emu and the cassowary, one of which is the only animal to win an official war against humans. It's called the emu war, look it up. Or, the fact that Australia has 755 reptile species, thanks in no small part to the fact that, besides Antarctica, Australia is the only continent to develop without feline species. No matter which way you look at it, Australia is home to some of the most unique animal species in the world, both extinct and extant. So, it should be no surprise that it's also home to some of the strangest monsters as well. Australia is said to be home to multiple extinct animals that just don't know how to stay extinct, an unknowable water terror, multiple tree-dwelling carnivores, its own species of Bigfoot, and its own Loch Ness Monster. In a continent full of ordinary animals that want to kill you, the extraordinary ones that do almost seem overkill. So let's take a look at the unknowable bunyip, the drop bear, Origins, the world's most unpleasant vampire, and some regional takes on some old favorites. There are many vampires throughout the world. Many are humanoid and or may have once been human. Most are ambush predators, relying on surprise to capture prey. And of course, many are hematophages, consuming blood to sustain themselves. The only thing that most monsters classified as vampires lack, really, is a good reproductive strategy. Many vampiric monster stories are vague on how the vampires were created and how those vampires make more vampires to continue stalking the eternal night. Not so with the Yarmayahu. The Yarmayahu is described as a little red man with suckers on the ends of its hands and feet, and a giant head with a large, gaping mouth with no teeth. If that sounds unpleasant already, don't worry, it gets worse. Like many Australian creatures, the Yarmayahu has a very specific ecological niche. It hunts only during the daytime, only living prey, and only from the tops of fig trees. As you'll hear, many Australian monsters can be avoided by pretty much just not walking under trees. But the unwary traveler that decides to rest under a fig tree anyway seals their own doom, as any living human under a fig tree is immediately sprung upon by the Yarmayahu, who uses its sucker-like appendages to drain the victim of blood. Then, to add insult to injury, it eats you. And after that, it goes to find a drink of water and takes a nice nap. Don't worry, though. After its nap, it regurgitates its victim, alive and well. Well, 
Not quite. Its victim will escape a little shorter than before. And... a little redder? And if that same person rests under a fig tree again, they will find, to their horror, that the same thing happens again. And again. And again. Until the victim themselves is turned into a Yarmayahu, thus completing the beautiful circle of life? Kinda? If, despite the multiple chances to escape and ease of avoiding specific types of trees, you insist on walking under fig trees, there is one way to avoid being swallowed by the Yarmayahu. If you suspect one might be up in the fig tree you find yourself resting under, just fake your own death. The Yarmayahu are only interested in living prey, and they only hunt during the day. So if you just play dead until sunset, you should be free to go about your merry way. But again, if you don't want to waste your whole day playing dead for a little red vampire man that may or may not be in the tree above you, maybe just avoid fig trees. Unfortunately, it's a little harder to avoid bunyips. Not the least of which because there is no actual agreed-upon appearance for bunyips. Described as an enormous starfish, a hippopotamus or manatee, and a creature combining the characteristics of an emu and a crocodile, the most common characteristics for bunyips are a dog-like face, a crocodile-like head, dark fur, a horse-like tail, flippers, walrus-like tusks or horns, and a duckbill. The bunyip is a hard-to-pin-down animal. Its only agreed-upon characteristic is that it lives in and around bodies of water, and that it occasionally takes human prey. This monster is well known to the aboriginal peoples of Australia, and one tribe even had an outline image of a bunyip carved into a bank of Fiery Creek near Ararat, Victoria, which they would retrace annually up until the mid-1850s. Unfortunately, this outline image no longer exists. Various explanations of what creature a bunyip might actually be have been offered by non-Aboriginal Australians. In 1933, a man named Charles Fenner suggested that bunyips might be southern elephant seals or leopard seals, as seals have been known to make their way upriver. He further supplies that their smooth, sleek fur, apricot eyes, and booming call would certainly be a good fit for a hard-to-describe water monster. Ornithologists have suggested that the bunyip might be the Australian bittern. During mating season, male bitterns will call in a low-pitched boom from a hidden location. This call is apparently so disproportionately low that the bird is occasionally referred to as the bunyip bird. Neither of these explanations, though, account for the fact that several aboriginal tribes have accounts of people being viciously attacked and killed by bunyips, or the fact that bunyips are usually described as being larger than humans. Perhaps the most compelling explanation was first formally suggested by Dr. George Bennett in 1871. The bunyip might be a cultural memory of extinct megafauna, especially the diprotodon. This theory tracks for several reasons. Reason 1, diprotodons were the largest marsupial to ever live. At about 3 meters or 9.8 feet long from nose to tail, and 2 meters or 6.6 feet tall at the shoulder, they are described as hippopotamus-like in both size and habitat, staying in open woodland and grassland area near water. Reason 2, diprotodon means two forward teeth, and this unusual dentition would certainly help account for descriptions of bunyips possessing tusks. Also, they possessed shaggy fur, explaining the descriptions with hair. Reason 3 is simply that the people whom the bunyip comes from, the aborigines, not only have ancient rock art that is claimed to depict diprotodons in Queensland, Australia, 
but some tribes actually identified diprotodon bones as bunyip bones. Diprotodons only became extinct as recently as 46,000 years ago, long after the arrival of humans to Australia 60,000 years ago. It's not unreasonable that early Aboriginal tribes lived among megafauna that really can only be made sense of on our small human scale as monsters. Because really, what is a monster but a creature that humans consider dangerous? Aboriginal folklore is so rich with characters that are large, powerful versions of modern-day animals, and I may just have to do a whole episode on Aboriginal creatures one day, just to scratch the surface. Whew. Okay, we got a little metaphysical there. So let's bring it back with the drop bear. The Australian Museum describes the drop bear as, quote, a large predatory marsupial related to the koala, the size of a leopard and covered in coarse orange and dark mottled fur. The creature has powerful forelimbs for climbing and attacking prey, and a bite made using broad, powerful premolars rather than canines. It then goes on to state that they weigh an average of 120 kilos or 260 pounds, and are 130cm or 46 inches long. The drop bear stalks unwary tourists and other prey from the treetops. And should you walk under the tree it's in, the drop bear's primary method of attack is, well, dropping onto your head. Helpful Australian citizens have offered a number of ways to deter drop bear attacks. And these include placing forks in one's hair as a sort of armor, smearing Vegemite or toothpaste behind the ears or in the armpits to disguise one's scent, urinating on oneself, not sure why, and only speaking English in an Australian accent, as drop bears are less likely to attack Australians. Now, this creature was created as a hoax to scare tourists, but what if I told you Australia used to be home to a super predator that actually wasn't far off? You may have heard of the thylacine, but have you heard of the marsupial lion? Thylacoleo carnifex was a tree-dwelling carnivorous marsupial not actually related to lions. It was, on average, about 150 centimeters or 59 inches long from head to tail, and weighing about 101 to 130 kilos, or 223 to 287 pounds. It had unique dentition, its powerful bite being made of huge blade-like premolars rather than canines and powerful forelimbs with retractable claws for climbing and securing prey. Sound familiar? It should, because when the Australian Museum described drop bears, they were actually just taking things from the description of the very real marsupial lion. And, if these predators were alive today, trust me, a little Vegemite would be no deterrent. Biometric calculations show that, factoring in size, the marsupial lion had the strongest bite of any known mammal living or extinct. This is because unlike big cats, whose teeth work by killing through prolonged suffocation, the marsupial lion's teeth worked more like a pair of scissors, lacerating the jugular and severing the spinal cord. To put this in perspective, it takes a lion about 15 minutes to kill a large catch. It would take a marsupial lion less than a minute. In fact, their teeth were so specialized for killing large prey that they may have contributed to the marsupial lion's extinction when larger prey animals went extinct. Basically, the marsupial lion was too good at killing. I, for one, would love to see a drop bear documentary where a group of tourists frantically speak in Australian accents to try to fool a marsupial lion. Lastly, despite their incredible biodiversity, 
Australia just couldn't resist borrowing some of the worldwide favorite cryptid types, the lake monster and the hominid ape. If you're looking for marine reptiles on your next vacation to Australia, try New South Wales. The Hawkesbury River in New South Wales plays host to another contender for the lake monster crown, the Hawkesbury River Monster. Described by eyewitness accounts as possessing a lengthy, snake-like head, two sets of flippers, and being anywhere from 7 to 24 meters long, this creature, like Nessie, is considered to be a species of plesiosaur. This monster was first described by non-native settlers in the 1800s, though supposedly 3,000 to 4,000-year-old aboriginal rock art in the area backs up these sightings. There are aboriginal stories of lake monsters, but it's hard to confirm if any of these stories describe this exact monster. Nonetheless, despite being a little watery on the details, who doesn't like a good lake monster? The Yowie is a little more difficult to pin down location-wise. In parts of Queensland, they are known as a Quinkin or a Jugabina. In New South Wales, they have many more names, including Jurawara, Golaga, and Mingawin. Other names include the Yahoo, the Yaroma, or the Jimbra. Whatever you call it, though, the Yowie is a hominid creature similar to both Bigfoot in the United States and the Yeti in the Himalayas. It's described as being hairy, with a wide, flat nose, and standing upright at about 2.1 meters, or 6 feet 11 inches, to 3.6 meters, or 12 feet. The Yowie are said to have bigger feet than humans, but their tracks are inconsistent in shape and toe number. Like many hominids, the Yowie have been described as timid and shy, but with a propensity for violence if necessary. The Yowie is common in Aboriginal legends, and may be a part of the Dreamtime mythos. In a column in the Sydney Morning Herald in 1987, columnist Margaret Jones wrote that the first non-native Australian Yowie sighting was recorded as early as 1795. As with the Bigfoot, sightings have continued into the modern day, with the most recent sighting being in 2014. Also as with Bigfoot, there are several prominent Yowie hunters in Australia, including Rex Gilroy, Tim the Yowie Man, and Gary Opit. Because time I won't get into it here, but, as a closing note, I encourage you to look up Yowie sightings, as well as these three Yowie hunters. The stories are fantastic, and the people are almost as interesting as the cryptids themselves. Well, that's going to do it for Monsters Down Under. I hope you enjoyed a little bit more of a scientific episode than normal, and if you're curious about any of these stories, please check the show notes to find out more. Intro and outro music is by Scott Ethington. Also, speaking of music, if anyone who listens has a bit of audio editing experience and would be interested in helping me add more music and stuff to the podcast, please hit me up at monstersadvocatepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to make this podcast a little more whimsical, because even I get sick of my own voice eventually. Lastly, if you like what you heard, please rate and review on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening. And remember, anyone can be a monster.